In this series, we are going to talk about the second truth of those three truths about what we're about. Because I think that God's heart is so much about making sure that people feel loved, that they feel accepted, that they feel known, and that they feel at home. This is so much of his heart for his people. And right now in Denver, we are having a staggering number of young adults move here every single day. But even more than that, you can go out into the lobby and you can talk to people. And on a nightly basis, there will be people that are coming in the doors and you'll ask them, oh, hey, where are you from? You know, and they'll be like, oh, um, you know, my, my name's Joe. I just moved here from Nebraska last week. Oh, my name's Stacy. I just came from Buffalo. Oh, my name's, you know, Robert. I just came from Des Moines. And you're like, yes, amen. Are you so happy? <laughs> but here's the thing, is that there's all these people that are moving here on a weekly, monthly, you know, uh, basis. And they don't know anybody. They don't know a soul in the city. And they are feeling this thing that I think affects every single one of us called loneliness. And God, our Father, he has a heart for us that all of us would feel known, all of us would feel loved, all of us would feel accepted, and that we would have a place to call home. This series is about this second truth of why young adults exist, and it is this. It is to bring God's love to everyone. It is to bring God's love to everyone, because right now in America, we are uh, faced with an epidemic and a pandemic of loneliness. People, everybody, everyone knows how to attach themselves to social media, and no one knows how to have friends or how to be with people or how to connect with people. From 2001 to 2016, Barna did a research, uh, they did research groups where they asked study groups the same questions in 2001 that they asked them in, in 2016, and then they noted the differences. And in 2001, they said, what is the default answer of the majority of people to how are you? And the default answer in 2001 was good. How are you? I'm good. In 2016, they asked the same question, and the default answer of their research uh, groups was this. How are you? Busy. Busy. Busy people don't have time for friendships. Busy people don't have time to connect. And in 2001 to 2016, they, they noted people that would self-proclaim and would be bold enough to say in front of a group of people that they would self-identify as being lonely. And in 2001, it was a certain percentage that I don't remember, and it went up 10%. 10% more in 2016 would say, I'm lonely. I know how to Facebook. I know how to Snapchat. I don't know right now if I have friends. And the American uh, Socio Sociological Foundation just recently did a study, and they did one-on-one -on -one interviews with 1,500 people. And so people would probably open up more instead of a research group. They would open up more in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And they found that one in four people, actually it was more than one in four people, it was like 35% of the people that they interviewed said that they didn't have a single person in their life with which to share their triumphs and with which to share their sorrows. Loneliness is something 
that God hates as he was drafting us and as he was creating us and as he was putting stars in the sky and making the very first man, he said that it was all good. And then he looked at man for the very first time by himself and said, it is not good that man should be alone, meaning this, that loneliness, anytime you experience it, anytime you feel it, anytime you feel it creep into your life or you sense it in other people's lives, loneliness is not the heart of the Father for you. Loneliness is the exact opposite. In fact, God's heart is that everyone would be called home. Timothy talks about the reality that God desires that all men should be saved and come to knowledge of him. But not only that, that he wants every single person to be called home and that he wants every single person to have a place called home. This is the heart of the Father for us. That every single person would feel love and acceptance and a home. Luke 14, which is where we're going to camp out tonight. God is talking about his house. And he says this. He says, I want you to come home. And I want everybody to have a place to call home. And then he says this. And I would like for my house to be full. Luke 14, 23. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come home. Because I want my house to be full. And so the question I have for you tonight is simply this. What kind of life are you as a believer building right now? Are you building a life that welcomes people home? Are you building a house for yourself that is welcoming people home? Are we at Young Adults building a church that is welcoming people home? And maybe a better question is this, what kind of a house does God build? And then would it be possible for us to build our lives and our homes and our families and our churches exactly the way that Jesus builds his house? I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, Welcome to my house. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to my house. <laughs> if somebody does it in, in a singing fashion, that'd be great. Welcome to my house. All right. Let's bow our heads, ask the Holy Spirit to be here. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this group of people. God, I pray, God, that you would just speak tonight. I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would come. I pray that uh, you would just set me aside and that you would use this platform. But more than that, God, that you would just speak to our hearts about how much you love us, how much you love the lonely. God, that tonight that you would just transform us, not even necessarily in our minds, God, but in our spirits and in our, in our, in our beings. God, that we would be people that would build houses of welcome. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. How many of you love having people over uh, to your house? Yeah? Okay. Okay. I love, John and I love having people over to our house, but how many of you know that you are a completely different person in your house when you have people over? Am I right? 
Okay, so like, here's me throughout the week. I'm like, oh, hey, guys, I know I'm the matron of the family. I'm going to cook for us. It's most likely going to be pasta, right? And I'm like, and I'm like, Brooklyn, and this is true, like 90% of the week for her meals, she eats hot dogs and cheese sticks. And, and that's real. Um, you know, every now and then I, I cook a little lasagna, and I'm like, don't ever tell me that I didn't love on you, right, baby? You know, like I just... <laughs> Every now and then, like, that's real. But when we have people over, I'm like, well, I've drafted a menu. <laughs> um, Paula Dean before she got fired. And <laughs> for starters, we're going to have quinoa stuffed uh, jalapeno peppers. And we're going to do a mango chutney on the side. And then after that, we're going to do something like, um, I don't know, maybe like a pan-seared halibut with fennel. And then we're going to follow it up with a chocolate mousse. And John is like, yeah, that's what's up. And I'm like, don't expect this later on. This is for house guests. <laughs> and when it comes to cleaning our house, right, like, like uh, I mean, there are explosions of toys in every single room of our house. And we're just like, whatever. Like, we know we're going to break bones and break limbs on Legos and different things like that. And we just don't care. Um, but when people come over, all of a sudden, it's like every single toy is put away. The dogs are never washed, but they are washed and they smell good and they're sitting on their little beds, right? And we have everything put away. John's out front and he's like sweeping. He's like hosing out his garage and pretending like there's not oil spills in there, right? And like, and like, 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 you know, I'm vacuuming, like, right as people are pulling up, and I'm vacuuming so fast the wheels are smoking. Like, like, <laughs> like I get my makeup on, John gets his hair on, and, <laughs> and we open the door, and we're like, oh, hey. And they're like, oh, man, your house is so beautiful. And I'm like, well, that's just the way we live. <laughs> you know, like, like. <laughs> Like, we legitimately, uh, we, we will move um, things into the garage to create more space. Like, we'll paint walls. Like, we will do whatever it takes to make it feel like this place is more um, welcoming and accepting than it normally is. And if you are in here and you are like me and you're a little bit neurotic, what you need to know is that you are in good company in the kingdom. Because Jesus actually talks about the fact that when he ascends into heaven, that he's going to the Father, and he's going into the Father's house to prepare a place for you. He talks about the reality that there are many rooms in his Father's house, and when he goes, he tells the disciples, I'm going to make a place for you. I'm going to clean house for you. I'm going to get ready for you. That welcoming spirit that welcome home spirit that can only come from Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to feel like you have a place to call home. And in Luke 14, where we're going to camp out tonight, you can go ahead and turn there. Jesus shows up to a person's house. He shows up to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And he's welcomed in as a guest. And it's the Sabbath, and to give you a little, a little bit of backstory, there was a certain way that Pharisees hosted, and there was a certain way that the Sadducees ran their lives and ran, um, you know, their parties. And at the time, there wasn't really anything wrong with it. Um, oh, I hope that's not mine. Um, at the time, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was just the way that they did things. And Jesus shows up to this party. He shows up, and he walks in. 
And immediately he begins to point out the different ways that they have built their house, the different ways that they are welcoming people into their house that are completely flawed. And in true Jesus fashion, he says, this isn't how you should run your house. This isn't how you should run it. The very first thing Jesus notices is this, is that in the Pharisee's house, it's actually all about honoring themselves. It's all about honoring themselves. He walks in the door, and immediately what he sees at this dinner party, what he sees at this house, is that everyone has already chosen their seats, and that everyone has already chosen places of honor. It says that he walks in and he sees that they have chosen, you know, places by the fireplace, that they have chosen places by the host, that they have chosen places close to the food. And so he immediately tells them a parable. And he says this, he says, suppose you go to a wedding and you were to sit down and you seat yourself in a place of honor. You know, because we all know that tables one through five get food first. And so you're like, sweet table one, right? <laughs> he says, or you sit yourself next to the bride and to the groom. And he says, what were to happen if someone were to walk up that's more important than you and say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, but that's actually my seat. How would you feel if you were at a wedding and you sit down next to the bride and the groom or at a place of honor and then President Obama and Michelle walk up and they're like, oh, oh, so sorry. Those are actually, like, you would feel so stupid. <laughs> and if you don't, you have no shame. <laughs> and he says, he says, seat yourself at a lowly place so that the master of the party, meaning God, can raise you up to a place of notoriety. And what he notes about this party is not just something for the Pharisees to learn from, but it's something for the church to learn from God's house today, to learn from the way that we build our lives today, to learn from. And he says this, be sure that you do not make your house about honoring yourself. That sometimes we can get into church and we can get into um, religious institutions and we can slowly begin to think that really this thing is, this whole machine, this whole mechanism, this whole house is about finding a place of honor for myself. It's about finding the best seat. It's about finding honor for myself. A place of, you know, where the, the teaching is just right for myself. It's about me, ultimately. Newlyweds, when they get married, they'll be like, you know, like oogly eyed right and it'll be like oh I'll do the dishes no I'll do the dishes no I'll do the dishes you know and then it's like oh I'll take out the trash babe oh no I'll take out the <laughs> I love you so much you know and it's like who's gonna take out the oh I'll, I'll do it you know like like this is how we operate in the beginning of marriages and then you get a couple years down the road and and <laughs> and I can attest to the fact that it's like maybe it is your turn to take those dogs out, right? And it is your turn. And I honestly think that sometimes at churches we can get to this place where at first it's like, no, you know, you go first. You have a place of honor. No, you go first. You have a place of honor. And over time, we get comfortable 
and we get maybe a little bit religious and a little bit pharisaical, and we begin to think that maybe this place, this house, this honor is for us. And Jesus says, no, 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 now be careful, guard yourselves and take a lowly seat so that the master can raise you up. He says, be careful that you do not build your house in a way, in a pharisaical way, where you are seeking honor for yourself. And then immediately he moves on to the next parable. And he's just pointing out flaw after flaw after flaw. And I'm assuming that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are starting to get worked up, right? And he, he also notes and he says, because he walks into the party and he sees that, you know, there's already kind of cliques of people and there's friendships that are in existence. And, and while the whole party was about inviting people, um, and, you know, to come in, to invite Jesus to come and be as a guest, the guests really didn't feel at home because there was already these friendships and existence that really weren't as welcoming as one would have hoped. And Jesus literally says this to them. He says, your house is all about the insiders. Your house is all about the insiders. And he tells them this parable, this simple story. He says, suppose you were to give a luncheon or a dinner. And then he simply says this. He says, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and will be, and then so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus says, I know that at your party, you would prefer to sit with people that you know. You would prefer to have an insider look at things. You would prefer to have a place where it's everyone, you know, it's like cheers. Everybody knows your name, and you know everybody's name. But he says, be careful, be careful, because God's house, a gracious house, is not necessarily always for the insider. And God also says that friendships are important. I mean, uh, don't be thinking tonight that your friendships are important, that those connections that you have are important. We're about to do a life group launch tonight. It's so, it's so vital to your spiritual walk and to your life. Proverbs talks all about the importance of our friendships. But Jesus says you better be careful because if your life and you make God's house always about the insiders, you have missed the boat. And you don't want to build a house like the Pharisees built. You don't want to build a house like the Sadducees built. It can't always be about the insider. And then the last flaw that Jesus points out, and probably the most damning to the Sadducees and to the Pharisees, is that he points out that their house has become more about guidelines than it has about grace. More about guidelines than it has about grace. That perhaps, that perhaps a church or a house or the way that we build our lives begins on this foundation of grace, but over time moves to a place where we forget the depth of the grace that God gave us. And we forget the immense, vast ocean of the grace in which we live. And we slowly begin to make it more and more and more about guidelines. Jesus shows up to the party, and it's on the Sabbath, and there's a man there who has a disease that makes his skin puff up. It makes him 
retain water and, and, and it, it, terribly uncomfortable. And he looks at the man, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are like hawk-eyed on him because they're like, what are you going to do? Are you going to heal him on the Sabbath? It's a guideline. And he looks at them, and he says, let me make this real simple. If your son or your daughter <laughs> were to fall in a hole, and it's the Sabbath, what are you going to do? And they all kind of like back away, but then they're like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and so he reaches out to the man and he heals him. And what he's saying in this moment is grace. Mercy always triumphs sacrifice. That grace always trumps these guidelines. And if we aren't careful that we can receive grace as an individual and we can build our house on the grace of God and on the vast um, depths of what we have been forgiven from and the vast ocean of what God um, allows us to live in and the grace that he propels our life through and that we can begin to make it less and less about his grace and more about guidelines that soon sometimes we meet Christians and they are um, very ungracious in the way that they deal with people. That sometimes we meet churches and they are very ungracious in the way that they deal with people that maybe disagree with them or don't look like them or don't act like them. And Jesus says you better be careful. Don't build your house like a Pharisee's house. And that's how he starts out his visit. Don't do that. Oh, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> and then he tells them a story. And in, in, in the brilliant fashion, as only our God could, he tells a story about what God's house is like. Because he wants everyone to feel like they can come home. And he wants everyone to have a place to call home. He says, you want to build a house, Pharisees? You want to welcome people in? This is what it looks like. And this is Luke 14. And as I read this, think, is this the house that I'm building with my life? Is this the house that exudes my heart? Is this the house that I look like towards the world? Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table heard him say all this, meaning Jesus was like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. <laughs> right? Because, like, that's what you do when you know you've been caught, like, gossiping or something. Like, somebody's like, oh, but they're a really nice person, and maybe don't say that. And you're like, oh, right. Worship night's going to be so legit next week. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Right? That's what this dude's doing. He's like, oh, I'm super holy, even though I don't look holy right now. You know? So... He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And she, like, Jesus was like, yep, okay. Um, <laughs> Jesus replied, a certain man, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time the banquet of the banquet, he sent out his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. It's my excuse. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That's awesome. <laughs> like, like, I don't know who wants to do that instead of go to a party, but, but more power. Uh, still another said, I just got married a little more legitimate, so I can't come. 
The servant came back and reported to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys of the town and bring the poor, bring the crippled, bring, bring the blind, and bring the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads of the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus is so brilliant because he looks at the Pharisees. And understand this, we are Pharisees. <laughs> He's talking to us. He's talking to people who get used to church. He says, look, don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. Don't do it this way. And then in his graciousness, he says, do it like this. And if there are some notes that I think we can take tonight about how we build the house of God, and I pray we build Red Rocks Church, and I pray we build our churches as we move forward. He's like, take notes and build your church this way. And the first thing is this. He says, God's house is always for the outsider. God's house is always about the outsider. When you read the four Gospels, one thing that you notice is that Jesus has a disproportional love and time spent with the outsider. That he spends a disproportional amount of time with people who are crippled, people who are lame, people who are poor, people who are tax collectors, people who are prostitutes, people who are demon-possessed. This is who he spends a vast amount of his time with. And if you don't believe me, think of some of your favorite stories. He meets Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and he's up in a tree because he's too short and stubby. Like this was the kid that most likely got picked on when he was in high school. He's lonely. I believe that about Zacchaeus. He's an outsider. He has known what it has felt like for the majority of his life to not quite be like everyone else. And he climbs up in a tree just to get a touch of Jesus. This is the man that Jesus goes to his house and he spends time with him and all of his tax collector friends and all of his sinner friends. And then Jesus says this. He says, salvation is here for you too, friend. Jesus goes to meet a woman at a well and spends an obtuse amount of time with her. He talks with her, and this woman has no female friends. There is not a girlfriend for this girl. No one wants to hang out with her because she has been promiscuous with everyone's boyfriend. And all the girls know about it, and all the girls talk about it. She is an outsider. Jesus goes to her. And he tells her everything that she has done. And then he invites her to drink of living water. These are the people that Jesus spends time with. He goes out of his way to meet a demon-possessed man. He goes out of his way to meet a leper. He loves having parties with sinners. These are the people that Jesus hangs out with. He hangs out with the outsiders. And probably one of the most, um, I think, memorable scenarios in scripture of Jesus trying to communicate his heart towards people that don't fit in, towards people that are on the outside, is when he ascends into heaven and then he speaks to Peter. Peter is a Jew. He is by all rights an insider, even though he, he was a like, Jewish school you know, reject. Like, Jesus never even hung out with, like, the Jews of the Jews. Like, he always hung out with, like, the... The reject Jews, you know. <laughs> but he speaks to Peter and he says, Peter, I need you to go to Cornelius' house. 
he just says, okay, Lord. And on his way, he has this vision about, you know, and we think, you know, the story is about pigs and, like, animals and things like that. But he has this vision, and God says very plainly to him, Peter, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. In other words, Peter, I'm about to graft the outsiders in, and what I call in, don't you call out, Peter. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and this is exactly what he says to him. He says, Cornelius, I can no longer say that what God has called clean, I can no longer call it unclean. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit fell for the very first time on a Gentile home, which is why you and I are able to be saved. It's pretty cool. It's all right. You can clap. And Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm about the outsider. I'm about grafting in the outsider. He says this, church, my house, there is always room. There will always be room for people that don't fit in. And so what does that mean for our house? What does that mean for your house? What does that mean for the way that you build your house? I think it means this. I think it means that when someone walks in to young adults, and maybe they smell like last night's party, that instead of avoiding them or maybe like not making eye contact because you're like, whoa, like we maybe have different lifestyles or different opinions about things, um, that you ask them how they're doing because here's the deal, most likely they already know all of the ways in which they don't categorically measure up and they are here because they're looking for a home. Welcome home. Maybe, just maybe, when you run into somebody whose lifestyle differentiates from you and you think there's no way I could possibly agree with this person, there's no way that um, we can find common ground. Maybe just maybe you just begin to get to know them. Maybe you invite them to their, your life group. Maybe it means reaching out to the person that you can tell and you can always tell who the lonely person is in the room. Maybe it means looking like that. Jesus says, you want your house to look like my house? You want your life to look like my life. You want your, your uh, family to look like my family. You always look for the outsiders. I love when Nick was here and he, um, he, he drops his little girl off at school. And he says, hey, hey, little girl, I love you, Haven. He goes, what do Nilsons do? And she says, fine, lonely people. <laughs> and she runs off into school. What if we at Red Rocks Young Adults, when I asked, or Doug asked, or Connor asked, what are we about, Red Rocks Young Adults? Fine and lonely people. <laughs> what if we were to build our house? What if we were to build our lives? What if we were to build ourselves the way that God says to build our house? And by doing that, we invite in the outsider. Number two, everyone is weird. Welcome home. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and be like, dude, you're so weird. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. <laughs> so some of you took some liberty there to like <laughs> dig into somebody. They're like, I know. From Des Moines. 
All right, Jesus describes this master telling a servant to go out into the streets and into the alleys, and he says, bring back the cripples, bring back the poor, bring back the lame, bring back the sick, bring back the outsiders. He says, bring them all to my party. Okay, now, now we read this, <laughs> we read this, and if you were to read it at face value, what you would understand is that this is the weirdest party that has ever been conducted. When I was in Nepal, this was a few years back, I had the privilege of going and sharing the gospel, and I think I've told you guys I was a terrible missionary, but I tried real hard, and, um, and I go, and uh, at one point in Nepal and in Hindu culture, they do not treat their lame, and they do not treat their cripple, and they do not treat um, their outsiders very well, because they believe you have been reincarnated into a lesser being. And so they would leave their cripples and they would leave their mentally handicapped out on the streets to die, essentially, or to beg. And so uh, there was a Christian couple who had formed this little house just for people who were lame and people who had uh, mental uh, disabilities. And we got to, you know, go there one day and serve them, um, but really they served us more. And as we walked into the house, we realized that we were walking into a birthday party. And um, as we walked in, we noticed that there was us, and then there were the permanent missionaries that we were there with, okay? And we already kind of felt like, oh, you're weird, and they were like, well, you're kind of weird, too. And we were like, we're trying to get along, but we're two different sets of people. We walk into this room, and it's full of um, people who have cerebral palsy, people who have uh, Down syndrome, people who have different mental retardations, people who have um, missing limbs, and then there was this whole other set of people, uh, and it was uh, missionaries from Korea. If you don't know, Korea is like, I think, the number one sending country, mission country in the world, Christian missionaries. Um, and so there's all these Koreans hanging out, and I was like, okay. And we begin to have a birthday party, and we're singing this girl, Harriet, happy birthday. And as we do, it's happening, you know, in, you know, English, and then it's happening in as best as they can language <laughs> and then it's happening in Korean and I remembered sitting there and being like this is the weirdest freaking party I've ever been to <laughs> and I have to say that it was one of my favorite times in Nepal because everything else in Nepal was so so dark and this was this one beautiful light that I got to experience and be a part of and what I think we need to understand young adults is that sometimes we think that life and, and the way that we are to do life is all about, um, you know, being a part of groups. We naturally gravitate towards groups that we are most comfortable in. You know, if you are a, a mind student, maybe you're like, well, hey, you know how to do math really well, too, you know. Or, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you're like me, you're like, well, hey, did you fail math? <laughs> Let's hang out. <laughs> you know? Um, that we as human beings naturally gravitate towards people that are just like us. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that the kingdom of heaven and that God's house is nothing like that. And it's not bad that you feel that way. It's not bad that you have a tendency towards that. But what you need to understand is, is that if that's all you like, if that's all you can experience, that you're not going to enjoy heaven too much. <laughs> because it's going to be a weird party. And there's going to be so many people there that are so different from you. 
And Jesus is trying to explain, look, this isn't the high school party where there's the jocks and then the people who smoke and then the cheerleaders and the, like, it's not like that. This is everyone all together, all the time. This is a party where everyone is in the mix, where there's no partiality. And when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, this is what he says to him. He says, God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. And I think sometimes, I remembered we got back from the retreat, and I know that we forced you on the retreat to mingle with people you don't know and hang out with people you don't know. And I think for a lot of people, it was really, really awkward at first. And, and I did feel bad about that. But then at the same time, I was so excited because I was like, this is so great. I love that we realize that everybody's weird and that everybody's welcome. I think we can make a strong case that if you were to walk across the room and talk to the person that is least like you, that in that moment, you were acting most like Christ. Everybody's weird and everybody's welcome. And so if you're in here tonight and you feel like you don't fit, if you are in here tonight and you feel lonely, if you feel like no one has accepted you, no one has loved you, no one has quite understood you, or maybe you were always kind of an outsider. I hope tonight that, number one, more than anything else, that you understand that God's heart is for you and that he loves you and that he grafts you in and that you are welcome in his house, that he makes room just for you. But number two, I hope and I actually believe that we are a set of people and that we are raising up a generation of people and that you guys are a generation of people that will walk across a room, find the loneliest people in the loneliest places and make them feel like they have a home. The last thing, and then you guys can come up, is that in God's house, there's still room and the master wants a full house. Luke 14 says this, Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have said I have done, but there is still room. There's still room. The goal of this series over the next four weeks is to give us an identity shock, a DNA shock about who we are and who we're not. And I think that it's going to be so important for us. And I think that God is going to miraculously kind of transform some insights about what we're about and who we're, who we're about and what we're not. And I love this verse because it basically theologically is saying um, that God's house is full for as many people as can come in and as many people want to come in. And I know the text says, you know, it says that the way to life is narrow. The gate to life is narrow. But as soon as you make that acceptance, as soon as you receive and accept Jesus, that after that his house is as big as you can possibly imagine and that he wants his house full. Everyone is welcome in God's house. But what God is counting on is us. And not necessarily because I think we've gotten so good over the years at reaching out to people and telling people about Jesus and telling people about Jesus in our workplace and, and all those different things. But I think sometimes I get so nervous about the people that finally make it and darken the doors of our church. And I think to myself, I hope you never feel lonely here. He is counting on the fact that we are going to build our churches, this church or any other church and that we are going to make it more like his house and less like a Pharisee's house. That we're gonna make it about the outsiders 
what would it look like if you spotted a new person this week and you invited them to wings? What would it look like if this week you chatted with someone who was theologically maybe even very different from you? That maybe your lifestyles are different. Maybe your walks of life are different. And you just tried, not in human fashion, but because your spirit is so gracious and so full of grace. There's a story about a young man here that I got to talk to during Red Conference. And he uh, approached me and he was um, a little bit emotional um, at Red. It was such a beautiful time. And he basically just said, Jess, I just want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you so much for young adults. And I was like, well, <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, but you're welcome. But, and uh, he goes, you know, I've struggled with loneliness my whole life. I've always felt like I just don't quite mesh, like even with my family, even with my friends. And I came in here and the very first night he, um, he was chatting with me and I think a couple other people. And there was a, a, a young man he had never met um, who kind of overheard that he was new into town or had moved here a couple months ago. And he was like, oh, hey, well, we're going out for wings and you should come. And um, he goes out to wings and hangs out with them and over time, he begins to develop these two close guy friends and then some female friends. And then over time, you can almost see him like um, socially changing. Like the way he interacts with people is no, longer, um, is no longer forced or frustrated. But instead, he's at ease with himself because the loneliness is beginning to heal inside of him. And then he starts to invite people over to dinner so that he can cook for them and, and starts to identify the lonely in the lonely places. And I just love his story because I think it's so simple, but it's so beautiful. God is simply asking us today, I have given you so much grace and you have been lonely and you have been grafted in and someone invited you and someone um, made an effort to make you feel not just like you were home, but that this place was a place you could call home. And God says, what a tragedy it would be at this point to hoard that for yourselves. But instead, what if you were to look out and say, where are the outsiders? Where are the outsiders and how do I graft and so um, if everybody could stand tonight, this is who we are. This is who we will always be. If it makes you uncomfortable, it's all right. I think that, I think that in Jesus' house, it, it's uncomfortable for us as he makes us more like him. But my prayer for every single person in here is that we would begin to live more like God's house and less like a Pharisee's house. And so I want to ask you again, what kind of house are you building with your life? Is it like a Pharisee's or is it like God's? And with every head bowed, I just have one question tonight. If you're in here and you, um, you have never known that God goes after the you have never known a Jesus who um, calls the outsiders, who loves the outsiders, who wants to spend time with the outsiders. And tonight I've been talking about how we are to operate as a church, but all you can keep thinking about and your heart's pounding and all you can keep thinking about is that you would like to meet Jesus, that you would like to be drawn to Jesus, that, that that's something that you want. If that's you in here tonight, that's God calling you home. 
And if that's you in here tonight, I would just love for you on the count of three to just slip up your hand and say, I would love to receive the grace, this wonderful grace and acceptance in his house. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Go ahead and raise it up real high. Amen. 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 God says, Jesus says, that if you will not be offended about his name before man, that he will not be offended about your name before heaven. And that by raising your hand, you are saying, I receive Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, and as my life. And from this moment on, you are eternally changed. Um, let me pray for you everybody else. God, I thank you so much for every single person in here that darkened our doors. I pray that we would be a church, God, that would welcome in the lonelies. God, I pray that we would be a church that is just like you. And tonight as we worship, I pray that um, you would just flood us with your love, your acceptance, um, how much uh, you cast out um, fear and anxiety and worry and insecurities. And um, God, that you love the lonelies. I pray that every single person in this room feels your love and acceptance in your house tonight. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said it. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>